This podcast is a production of WBEZ Chicago and is made possible with the support of listeners like you. Become a new member of WBEZ or renew your membership online at WBEZ.org. Thanks. They deconstructed the driveway, started digging, found all sorts of stuff, bottles and medicine bottles and things like that. But they also found like dentures and an old man's pipe, an alarm clock. And it's really interesting trash that maybe when you're living at that time, you're like, what am I going to do with this stuff? I'm just going to throw it out the window. But for people like us now, we're studying it. We can kind of get a snapshot of what was going on during that time in daily life. So Susie, do you mind doing the, um, you're listening to the Curious City thing? Sure. You're listening to the Curious City podcast from WBEZ Chicago. You ask the questions, we answer them together. Thank you. Howdy y'all, Jennifer Brandell here. So we got this question in from Dr. Linda Rudy. She lives in Chicago's Old Town neighborhood. I just wondered when there's construction, if urban archaeologists ever look to see if something's being discovered that might be of interest. We had WBEZ's Susie on dig up the answer for us. First, a quick tease. Linda's question had a backstory which helped set up the answer. They're digging up Well Street to put in new water mains, and there are really big trenches right in the street. And I saw railroad ties being hauled out. I wondered what railroad ties were doing under Well Street. We're not sure what happened to those rail ties, but the story paints a picture. Maybe an archaeologist is lurking at every hole that's dug in the Chicago region. Yes, urban archaeologists do sometimes check with construction crews to see if they've uncovered anything cool, but that exact scenario's not all that common, at least according to the pros I talked to. I'll lay out those reasons in a bit, but Linda wanted to know about the bling. What do archaeologists find when they find anything at all? And that would be all sorts of things. They found stuff from the Chicago fire, like melted clumps of marbles and charred teapots. You can see some of that on display at the Chicago History Museum. And then there are the treasures found at the bottom of an outhouse. One archaeologist told me outhouses are like time capsules because, think about it, if you drop something in an outhouse, you probably won't fish it out. And there are urban archaeologists working on a larger scale. So they're dirty plaster, Rebecca Graff fits that profile, and I meet her at the University of Chicago, where she teaches. Columns of the building and with the photographs we've been able to say definitively that they belong During to the During the spring of 2008, Graff led an excavation not too far from here, near the Museum of Science and Industry, in fact. She was digging for remnants of the Columbian Exposition, that big World's Fair that happened back in 1893. No one had actually excavated in this area, and it just seemed like such a, an important part of Chicago history that it would be interesting to see what, if anything, was left from the fair. And it turns out, quite a bit was left behind. Water lines and gas lines, milk bottles, bits of plate that you could see little cut marks, roof tile and plaster and wood, and we found railroad spikes. Actually, they built a huge series of temporary railroads throughout there to bring in materials and eventually to bring in the exhibits. So anyway, Graf and her team got a surprise. Recall that the fair had many, many structures, including the Ohio State Building, which was supposedly tossed into the lake, the whole thing. But Graf found chunks of it buried under the park. This one is a a plaster column, has a hole in the middle, it had wood, and you can see it has nails in the base. And it was just a a part of the white city. The, The newspaper accounts say that this building was thrown into Lake Michigan, clearly. Sometimes newspapers aren't right. 
Well, Graf can tell you a lot about urban archaeology in Chicago, and in particular, that scenario that inspired the question from Linda about construction digs. And she's got a story about how those digs can be missed opportunities. While she was finding World's Fair stuff near the Museum of Science and Industry, construction crews were putting up the museum's outdoor smart home exhibit. So they would come by our site regularly and talk um, to myself and our students and actually volunteered a lot of information about things that they were finding on the other side of the park. And that's not the only time she's run into crews who found interesting stuff without her. They actually say, you know, there should have been an archaeological project done there because we found so much stuff and now it's just, you know, been reburied or it's in my living room or something. Reburied, displayed in a living room, sometimes destroyed. These are the fates construction site artifacts usually look forward to. That's because workers don't want to stop to analyze things. And really, they don't have to if they have permits. That's where Joe Philippi of the Illinois Historic Preservation Agency comes in. I am the chief archaeologist. There's more to it than that. I'm the only archaeologist, actually. Federal and state governments have laws to preserve, restore, and maintain historic resources. And whenever a developer or even an archaeologist wants to break ground, they usually need to go through the Section 106 process of the National Historic Preservation Act of 1966. The act basically says that federal agencies have to seek our comment when they have an undertaking. They're issuing a permit, they're funding, they're doing some activity themselves. Human remains and grave sites raise a huge red flag that would stall work or completely shut it down. If some other artifact is found and meets federal standards of eligibility, then an archaeological test could be done. The Section 106 process doesn't require an archaeologist to hang out at every construction site. And if something cool does turn up, there's no guarantee there will be a big archaeological excavation. One big reason? The rules got ruling in 1966, but a lot of development happened before that. Philippi has this story about Wolf Point near downtown Chicago. The point was key to the city's early development. It's where the first hotel, tavern, and church were built. Anyway, Philippi says he recently reviewed Wolf Point. He says the site is disturbed. Well, there'd been a huge parking garage and a few other things, and when they built them, they didn't put fill and go up. They actually dug holes. Philippi says he looked over extensive documentation of the area. They have core soil borings and stuff that go down pretty deep, and it's deep enough that you can sell it's gone. Well, I was really holding out hope for Wolf Point when I called you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I I was hoping, because the history there and, and what was there would have been fascinating, I think. We would have learned quite a bit about early Chicago. Again, getting to Linda's connection between construction sites and urban archaeology, lots of missed opportunities. That's not the case everywhere. A number of cities on the East and West Coast have archaeologists on staff. And that's something that U of C researcher Rebecca Graff thinks Chicago should try. Archaeology, too, is destructive. But it also records things and looks at them and has the ability to tell the story. And once a construction site has knocked something out, that's it. We don't have it again. Until then, she says the best way to uncover what's under Chicago and beyond is for everyone to ask questions. The more and more people who ask questions like this Curious City one um, start to think, oh, you know, maybe we should be doing a little bit more because our city has a lot of stories to tell, some of which are buried just underground. Well, we won't argue with the whole curious thing, but how'd Linda take all this? All of the political process and the permits and all of the regulations and where funding comes from and how that works, I thought that was really interesting. I'd never really thought about that. Well, Linda, we're glad you didn't leave your question out of sight and out of mind. And if anyone else out there has got something for us to dig up, hit us at wbez.org slash Curious City. Susie on WBEZ.
So hey, this is Jennifer back here with our Indiana Jones of reporting, who maybe I will now call Illinois Jones, Miss Susie Ahn. Welcome, Susie. Hey, Jennifer. Yes, I am Indiana Jones, or you can call me Susiana Jones. <laughs> we should have gotten the, the hat and the whip for you to <laughs> yeah. do this report. So you talk about in your story that there isn't an urban archaeologist employed by the city, which there are in other cities, but they're really urban archaeologists are just hanging out around universities. So what do they do? I found that there's a whole world of them here in the city just doing all sorts of work. And even though there's so much development, there's still a lot of untapped ground to be dug up and Mm -hmm. and, uh, studied. So I mentioned a lot about the World's Fair dig um, and a a lot of the findings that they uncovered there. But then there was also the Charnley Persky House over in the Gold Coast neighborhood. And researcher Rebecca Graff, she also took part in the Charnley Persky House dig. And they pretty much deconstructed the driveway, started digging, found all sorts of stuff, again, with the bottles Mm -hmm. and medicine bottles and things like that. But they also found weird stuff like dentures and um, an old man's pipe, an alarm clock. And it's really interesting trash that maybe, you know, when you're living at that time, you're like, what am I going to do with this stuff? I'm just going to throw it out the window. But for people like us now, we're studying it and it, we can kind of, you know, get a snapshot of what was going on during that time in daily life. So yeah. that was pretty cool. It makes you wonder what the garbage collection system was back then. It sounds like it was pretty crappy if there's milk <laughs> right. bottles everywhere and dentures in the street. Like, put it in a bin, people. Well, she was saying that, you know, this property, it's it's where well-to-do people lived. So she was kind of curious, like, why they would have just thrown stuff like out the window or so close to the window. So she was thinking maybe someone buried it. A little kid there. maybe yeah. was like, ha ha, I'm taking Papa's pipe and I'm going <laughs> to never dentures. find it. <laughs> That'd be a pretty good trick. Take both those things at once. Yeah. <laughs> when you were reporting on this story, you mentioned that urban archaeologists can run into problems along the way. What kinds of stuff? Right. So while they do like people coming and asking questions, um, sometimes those people who are coming to ask questions are uh, what what they call treasure hunters. Evil. (laughs) People who, you know, while they're interested, um, they might come back later to um, continue the dig on their own when they shouldn't be. And they are looking for things that they can take with them and take back to their houses. This might actually hurt the work of archaeologists. They're taking this stuff and they don't actually know the context of it. They are disturbing the work site and things like that. So with the World's Fair dig, uh, Rebecca Graff, she showed us all the things that she had uncovered, including parts of the Ohio State Building from the World's Fair. And we took pictures of it and, you know, we tried to post them online, but Quickly, we had to take them down because she was worried, again, about these treasure hunters. And and, and mostly because this was on land from the park district and she was worried that you know, someone would come over, try yeah. to dig up the, the grounds there at Jackson Park. Um, so that was something that she was worried about. And, and it's actually a common worry with, with a lot of urban archaeologists. Through the Section 106 process, they uncovered some really cool stuff. Maybe not so much here in Chicago, but near St. Louis, East St. Louis, IDOT was, you know, working on some road construction and they actually 
uncovered a lot of stuff from the Mississippian Indians. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is pretty cool, which I'm like, I've been living in the state and I had no idea this even existed, but it turns out there's this area of mounds and it's the state's only UNESCO heritage site in Illinois. So it's like, that's that's pretty cool. And, and they actually uncovered sort of like a, a series of mounds and this village of foundations of houses and things like that. So it's pretty cool. You can actually go down there. It's, it's a, a whole park onto itself. They have areas where you can check out the mounds. And then they also have a museum of all the findings that they found in, in this underground village. Wow, that's fascinating. I, I, my dad, every time I go to St. Louis, he's like, you got to stop at the Cahokia Mounds or like on the way exactly, there. Exactly. That's and exactly it. I've never done it before, but I'm really tempted to now. When I first asked you if you wanted to do this story, you know, a couple months ago, you jumped at the opportunity and said when you were a little kid, you wanted to be Indiana Jones. Did this story change the way you feel about archaeology at all? In a way, it did. In this city, we don't have an actual, you know, city urban archaeologist, which would be great because we'd, you know, be able to protect more stuff, uncover more stuff and find out more about our city. So I think it's just gotten me more fired up about it. Good. Well, I bet Jimmy Hoffa is somewhere underneath (laughs) the ground here and we're just waiting for that city archaeologist to find him. (laughs) That's why we need a city archaeologist. Thanks so much, Susie, for the added context and insight. Thanks, Jennifer. All right, that does it for this week's episode, almost, because we need your help again. We're collecting memories of Riverview Amusement Park through our toll-free number. Riverview was an amusement park on the northwest side of Chicago at what's now Western Avenue and Roscoe. If you think of that place now, it's now a giant Riverview shopping complex with grocery stores and stuff. The park itself closed in 1967, and maybe you went there yourself, or your parents or your grandparents did, and you remember them telling you stories about it. Well, we're looking to get those stories about Riverview, from favorite rides to stealing first kisses to also the not-so-happy stuff like the racial tension that the park was infamous for. So call in and tell us all the good, bad, and ugly things you or your parents or grandparents remember about Riverview. You can call one 888 789-7752 to leave a message. That number again is 1-888-789-7752. That number is also going to be posted on wbez.org slash Curious City in the Riverview story, if you can't remember that. And yeah, we hope to get your voicemails. We're going to be doing the story in a few weeks from now and making an interactive map with all the memories that we collect. Thanks. Now for the good old merry-go-round. Carousel, flying horses. Whatever we call them, they afford a merry world for youngsters from 6 to 60. Curious City is produced by WBEZ Chicago, Ziga, and AIR, the Association of Independence in Radio. Our senior producer is Jennifer Brandell. Sean Ali edits the series, and Logan Jaffe is our intern. The Curious City podcast is produced with production help from Sarah Liu, that's me, and editing oversight by Robin Amer. You can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or listen to our back catalog in SoundCloud. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at WBEZ Curious City. Lead financial support comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect our community, our nation, and our world. 
More information available at chicagopublicmedia.org.